Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going through this because I believe with all my heart this is where God wants to take us. Understand this, that, that, that we don't just come to church. We don't come to church to fulfill some religious obligation so we can feel better about ourselves. That we are part of a family. If you're in Christ, you're part of a family. We've been learning we're part of His body. And as that, there's a purpose for your life. So the first words we see in Ephesians chapter 4 are these words. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You've been called by God. You've been called by God. It's one thing, you know, if you put your resume out there and you need a job and, and you're waiting and sitting by the phone and that phone rings and one of those employers that you submitted your resume to is on the other end of that phone. I've been in there and you say, you know, we'd like you to come in for an interview. And, you know, your, your heart goes up a little bit, goes a little faster. It's like a little hope rises. Oh, maybe I do have a job here. And maybe, so what do you do? If they call you for the interview, do you go? Four of you do. <laughs> if, you're, if you're desperate for a job and that guy calls you and says, you know, you know, are you available on Wednesday at 10 o'clock? Yeah, I'm available on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. I will be there. Why? Because someone's called you. And they call you with a purpose. God has called you. But just because you're called, we have some calls that come in on our phone. I love caller ID. This is out of area. That means telemarketer. <laughs> so there's some calls you don't answer because you don't want to talk to the person that's on the other end of the line. There may be some calls you get and you don't understand them because they may speak another language or it sounds like they're speaking another language. So just because you're called doesn't mean you answer. But when the call comes, now the burden is shifted to you to respond. And so Paul is saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've already been called. And that's really what this is all about. We're not just coming to church. We don't just have a church so that I have a job. I had a wonderful job before I was a pastor. I didn't leave the practice of law because I didn't like it. I didn't leave the practice of law because I wasn't doing well in it. I was doing very well in it. I left the practice of law because God called me. And I answered his call. So God has called you and me. He's called Faith Christian Center for a purpose. And everything we do and everything God does with us is to help prepare us to accomplish that purpose for which he's called us. And so Paul says here, notice he said, I don't beseech you to do certain things so that God will call you. See, God doesn't look at your qualifications and say, okay, you're ready now, Tony, I'm going to call you. Now God calls you first and then gets you ready. He's a faith God. <laughs> When he tells us to walk by faith, he's telling us to do what he's done. He's looked at you and said, I have a calling on your life. I have a purpose for your life that's far beyond what you could imagine it to be. 
Because God sees the end from the beginning. And He has a calling and a purpose for Faith Christian Center. As I've shared with you so many times, I look back on the 31-year history of this church, and I see what God has taken us through and how faithful He's been. I see how God has richly blessed us, not only with financial, for the financial ability so that we don't have debt and things like that, but God's also blessed us with human resources, with people that are gifted and talented. And He's consistently done that over the years. When someone's moved on, God's brought someone else in with the same or better talent and ability. And I look around and I say, I see this talent and ability that God's brought in here. And I look out and see the size that we are, and I don't see it matching up. I see talent and ability and anointing potential that's beyond what we have here right now. And I say, God, what are you up to? Then this verse runs through my mind that Jesus told to his own disciples as he was sending them out, to whom much has been given, much is required. And we are at a critical point in the history of mankind, I believe. And this is why we're here. We are called for such a time as this. And so that's the calling that Paul is referring to, and it was not just for the Ephesians in that day and age, but it's for Faith Christian Center and for everyone else who calls on the name of the Lord. So I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We talked about that. There's one body. That's what we've been talking about. One Spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now drop down to verse 11. And he himself gave some, some what? Some of these gifts. He gave in the form as apostles, as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man or perfect man, but it means mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, therefore causing the growth of the body in the edifying or building up of itself in love. We've already looked at several things in here briefly. We've looked at the fact that the, that, that the purpose of all of this is that we grow up and mature. We grow up, but not just grow up. See, when, when you're growing up or where you're changing or you're endeavoring to reach a goal, if you're going to do it correctly, you have to have a picture of what that goal is. So there has to be, there has to be a goal that you're aiming at. If you're just going to grow and you're just going to increase, you're not going to go very far until you have a goal. They'll teach you that over and over again. You know, have to set goals. You need to set a goal that you, a mark that you're aiming towards. When they build buildings of any kind of size or importance, the first thing they'll do is go to the architect. 
They'll hire an architect because you have to have an architect now. And that architect will come up with a, a, a rendering, a, basically a, a simple drawing of what the, it's going to look like. And you look at that and say, yeah, I like that. Or no, I don't think I like that. And he may change the, the, the shape of the outside or the shape of the windows. And you come back and he says, yeah, that's what I want. Now go ahead and design that. And then what he begins to do is come up with more complicated drawings, which, are, which, which eventually worked. They're called schematics. Then they eventually work into, into specific and detailed drawings so that the contractor and the electrical contractors and the steel contractors can look at that and say, yes, that girder goes in this place. And if everybody does what they're supposed to do, that end result will look like that original picture. Well, God works the same way with us. He has a picture, a rendering of what you are to look like when you're, he's finished working in your life to cause you to grow up. And he has a picture, an image of what Faith Christian Center is to look like as we all grow up together. And then he tells us ahead of time what that picture is. It's nothing short of the fullness of the image of Christ. So that when someone sees you, when you've matured, the way God wants to mature you and grown up the way God wants you to grow up, when someone sees you, they'll see Christ. And he said about himself, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So God's pattern is if he sees us, he's seen Christ. If he's seen Christ, he's seen the Father. And that's God's wish. In fact, Jesus said, they're going to know what I'm like by the love that you have for one another. So that's the goal, the model. And we look at that and say... We look at Jesus and we, you know, we see pictures of him in stained glass windows. We read the story of him through the gospel. We say, there's no way I could do that. No, there is no way you could do that on your own. But if God has set that out as a goal, then you can attain it. If that's God's calling for you and if that's God's calling for me, it is possible to attain his calling. Otherwise, he's lied to us. And he cannot do that. We know that from the scriptures. So that means we tend to shrink back and say, oh, there's no that way, we can, that, way that could happen. That's because we don't think like he thinks. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 55, God says, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Mm-hmm. As high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how my, high my thoughts are above your thoughts. But he doesn't say you can't learn his thoughts. That's what that book is in your lap. So we're in the process of changing our image of ourselves. We're in the process of changing our image of this church to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us and the potential that God sees in us. And then we've gone back and looked at how God sees us. We've looked through Ephesians chapter 1 and we've seen how God sees us individually and what God's, God's plan is for you personally, individually. And then we began to look at this idea that we just read in the beginning of chapter 4 where God sees us together as one body. We are the body of Christ. That's not some metaphor or symbol. That's literally who we are. We are his body, his hands, his feet, his mouth, his ears, his arms in the earth today. And we've seen that we need to change how we relate to one another and understand that we are parts of one another if we're parts of him. And then we saw that although we're individual parts and we're one body, he's the head of it. And the significance of that is the entire body's purpose and everything it does is all working to carry out the will of the head. And so the purpose of his body in the earth, the purpose of your being here, the purpose of your life, the reason you exist is to carry out the will of the head of the church. But his will is that we work together. Not that we go off as a series of individuals trying to carry out his personal will. I think that's sometimes the image that we have. Is that we come together, I pray, and find out what God wants me to do, and then I go off and do it. 
and I bless you, pray for you, you know, you know, Bill, God, hope God shows you what you're supposed to do so you can go off and do it, you know, and Link, Terry, you go off and do what you're called to do, and Mark, you know, we all do, praise God, we come together and rejoice, we're all doing what God has, wants us to do, but what God wants us to do is function together as one body. Imagine what would happen if your body, each part of your body decided to do its own thing and felt satisfied because it was performing some function. But it wasn't the function that it was ordained to perform because if you do that, you could never get out of bed. Part of you might try to get out of bed. Part of you wouldn't want to stay in bed. Part of you wanted to stay in bed this morning. Oh, be real. Come on. Part of me did. But my head says, no, nah, you got to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> it's nice to be able to laugh in church and laugh at ourselves. Praise God. Well, let's go on today. So, oh, the other thing we looked at the last time was this, because it's been two, two Sundays we've been off this subject. We also saw that if, if, if you're a part of the body, but you separate yourself from the rest of the body, by nature you've separated yourself from the head. Because the head's connected to the body. So if my hand somehow could be separated from my body, it's also separated from my head. Which means if you, you cannot be a Christian and separate yourself from the body of Christ and still be in fellowship with the head who is Christ. So many Christians out there don't believe that they need to be part of a church. Somehow they're above that or they haven't found a church that meets their standards. But if you separate yourself from the body, you've also separated yourself from the head of the body because the head's connected to the body. And that's what we talked about last time. Now today we're going to begin to get into the process that God's ordained for us to mature and grow. So we're going to look now down in verse... Well, let's go to verse 11 because it leads into it. And he himself gave some, some of these gifts as apostles. We just had an apostle in here this last week. Some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. Now, just stop here a second because there are many people out there who call themselves apostles. Many out there who call themselves prophets. Many out there who call themselves evangelists and some that call themselves pastors and teachers. Just because you have a business card that says apostle. Just because you have a sign on your desk that says prophet doesn't make you an apostle or a prophet. Those titles describe a function in the body of Christ. And notice who gives these gifts. The head does. The head takes a particular part of the body and ordains that part to perform a function to help the body. Just like your heart 
is a part of your body, but it is an organ that's been designed by God to perform a crucial function, but it's still a part of the body. It doesn't choose whether it's the heart or not. It's not a title. It's not a badge of accomplishment. It's not a reason to have a t-shirt that has your name profit on it that you can go around and show off who you are. It's not a sign of your accomplishment. It's simply a job description. That's all it is. And you don't call yourself to that job. And if that is what you're called to be, there will be some evidence that that's your calling because God does not call you without giving you the equipment. And the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, especially, well, the first and the second letter, they're both written to the same church because Paul was an apostle. And they rejected him after he had started the church. And they rejected him because they thought they were more spiritual than he was. And so at one point, Paul refers to his credentials. And he talks about the evidence of his apostleship among them. And my whole point is just understanding before we, because we're not lifting these offices up, they're simply a function, they're a job description, and their role is to do what we're going to talk about this morning. And that's in verse 12. They've been given to the church for the equipping of the saints. And we've talked about who the saints are. The word saint, there is a Greek word that means set apart. In other words, if you are in Christ, you've been set apart from the world. It's simply referring to Christians. So when you see the word saints in the Bible, not in some church writer, but in the Bible, it's referring to Christians, those who have been set apart from the world. That's you and me. So these gifts are given to the church for the purpose of equipping you and me so that we can do what we're here to do. And I don't want to get this morning into what we're here to do. I want to talk about equipping. I want to talk about just what that word means. Because these gifts, we had in, in the house this week an apostle. And before I've called him that, I've been there, I've watched his ministry, I've seen other churches that he started, I've seen the evidence of his apostleship in his life and in his work. An apostle just means someone that's been sent, but is sent with a purpose, is to establish a foundation. And this week we had built into, or our foundation was strengthened this week. But the word here for equipped is a very interesting word. I love words. Words are containers. And it's one thing if you're reading the words of a philosopher. It's one thing if you're reading the words of, 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 of a politician. Well, they don't mean a whole lot. They're empty containers in many cases. It's another thing if you're reading the words of some great scholar. But when you're reading God's Word, how much richer and more meaningful and powerful are those words? Because the Bible says they're God-breathed. 
So these words contain the life of God. They contain his heart and his purpose and his calling and his means and his power and his life. So I don't overlook one word. I'll take a word and I'll just spend some time studying it and, and looking back into its history. I lo- well, I've always enjoyed studying words. I mean, that's basically how I preach. I take a word or a series of words and I experience them and I just get inside them and describe to you what I'm experiencing. And that's what we're going to do this morning. This word in Greek is katarsismos. K-A-T-A-R-I-S-M-O-S. Cartismus. Catarsismus. Yeah. (laughs) And it means equipping, but if you go back and study the root of this word, it's very interesting. It has two basic meanings if you study the root of it. The first root of the word is to mend something that's broken. Now, this is what these gifts which includes a pastor, is to do for all of us. The first meaning of this word is to mend, and the root of it goes back to the word was used when a physician mended or did a process by which a broken bone was mended. Now, if you stop and think about it, a physician, a doctor, he cannot mend anything. But what he does do is put back in place so it can mend itself. A number of years ago, one of our sons was playing basketball over here, and he went up to rebound something, and somebody bumped into him inadvertently and took his feet from him, and he landed on the floor on his arm. You know, and it hurt. He came home. We prayed over it, you know, and, but it, didn't, it just kept getting worse and worse. So I figured, we better go to the doctor. So we took him to the doctor, and the doctor had an x-ray done. He says, yeah, there's a fracture there, and we're going to need to set it. So they, you know, they, they, they put him out a little bit, because they, and they put his arm under an x-ray machine, and under that x-ray machine, or whatever it was, they had readjusted the bone so that it could be right in back where it was before it was broken. And then they put a cast on it so that wouldn't move. And then the, 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 the orthopedic doctor said, it's going to take, I don't know how many weeks to keep that cast on because it will take that much time for that bone to begin to knit itself together. And there's a process by which that bone will begin to not just be physically next to each other, but it will begin to literally reconnect itself. And this doctor had studied that process. He knew it well because he knew something about this that I didn't understand because he showed me the x-ray. He said, it's very fortunate because at that time, I think he was probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. He said, in this, right above the wrist, there's a thing called a growth plate. I didn't know that was there. And he said, that growth plate is what allows this arm to grow at the same rate that the other arm's growing. He says, but if that break had taken place at the growth plate, it could interfere with that process so that that arm might not grow out to the same length as the other arm. So the break, but I didn't know any of that. Not only that, he knew what to do about that and what to do with it. And here's my point. Not just anybody could have taken my son's arm and fixed it and mended it. It had to be somebody that had studied somebody that had an understanding and ability to understand what was the material was, what the bone was like, 
and also to understand where the, what to do with different parts of it and also to understand what, what to do to get it lined up so that it could heal itself. The physician did not have the power in himself to just touch it and make it grow back together again. But what he had was knowledge and wisdom by which he could put it in a place by which the body itself could do that. You following me? And that's what this word mend means. The first basic meaning of this word equip means. It's interesting. It's used in Matthew 4 verse 21 when it says Jesus called, uh, 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 called Andrew and Peter. And right before that he called James and John. And when he called them, they'd been out fishing. And he said to James and John, he says, I'm calling you to come and and join me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then he goes along because I think the understanding is that that James and John and their father, father Zebedee had one fishing business and then kind of next to them was Peter and Andrew. They were brothers and they had their own fishing business. So now Jesus goes over to them and invites them to follow him. But it says in verse 21 that what they were doing when he came to them is they were mending their nets. The nets were the, we heard about nets this last week. The nets were the means by which they caught fish. Because you can catch fish by sitting out there in a boat with a rod and reel. And you can catch one fish at a time. And that's nice if that's kind of your recreational thing, if that's kind of your, you know, a sport to you. But if it's your livelihood, we have at least one commercial fisherman in, our, in, in this congregation. And, and, and to my knowledge, he doesn't sit in the back of the boat out there with a fishing rod. <laughs> they go broke catching one fish at a time. No, they've got this boat with these booms that go out on the side, and they, they throw these nets over with floats on them, and they drag, they pull them along behind because they're catching whatever's under there. They're going to catch and bring into the boat and then sort out what they want from what they don't want. And we heard teaching on that this week. But that can only work to the extent that that net is intact and is knitted together. So what Peter and James, Peter and Andrew were doing when Jesus found them is they'd finished fishing and they had pulled their net up on the shore and they were inspecting it to make sure that there were no gaps in it. And where there were gaps, they were... Catartismosing. They were mending. They were equipping it. They were fixing it. That's what this word of the week means that this word has. So we see that these gifts are given to the church, first of all, to take people that are broken and mend them, to take lives that are hurting and help make them whole. Why? Because you're part of a body. And if part of the body is hurting, it doesn't function as well. If part of the body is is, is ill or diseased, it doesn't function as well. And all of your body is designed to begin to minister to it and take care of it and help it. But that instinct is designed, is built into your body through your DNA. But the body of Christ does not have... It's in us, but we don't know about it until someone begins to show it to us. Someone begins to teach us and explain us, explain it to us. 
And those are the functions of these five gifts. One of those functions of these five gifts is to begin to, to, for God to use those gifts to help mend us. So you come into Faith Christian Center and, 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 and you may feel broken. Your life is broken. You may look at your past. You may look at yourself and say, how could God use me? I'm dysfunctional. How could God use me? I had a terrible childhood and, and I was misused and all kinds of things and I'm hurting and broken inside. But you're part of the body. You're a part of the body. You're not to be cast aside. Galatians chapter 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens. Isn't that what your body does? Isn't that what your body does? If there's a part that's not working right, or, or, or you, your rest of your body bears that burden. It carries that burden around. It recognizes that whatever's wrong with your foot is wrong with you. So these gifts are given to help mend us. Take areas where we're broken, where, where there's parts of the body itself may be broken or separated from each other. There may be shifts or, sk- or d- sif- divisions, schisms or divisions in the church. There was at the church at Corinth. Paul, an apostle, writes these two letters to the church at Corinth because as apostle, he's trying to mend the factions or the divisions within that church. Just think about God. See, he's not like a, he's, it's not like the army where they take you where they are and they whip you in shape. They don't care about you. They need you. God loves you. You're part of his body. He cares about the fact that you're hurting and broken. He cares about the fact that parts of you may not be functioning the way they should be. And he wants to minister to you. He wants to strengthen you. And isn't that what Jesus did when he walked on the earth? We saw in in Matthew 4.23, Jesus went about through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming or telling the good news of the kingdom. And how did he, what was that good news? And he went about healing all who were sick and all who were diseased. And the good news spread. He went around removing pain, removing afflictions, removing suffering. Religion gives you an idea of God somewhere way up there who's kind of looking down over his long, bony nose at us, inspecting everything we're doing. He's making a list, checking it twice. <laughs> Gonna see who's naughty or nice. Because you're, you're on the naughty list, you get coal. That's what the religion thinks about God. If that were true, none of us would be here. Because none of us are good enough to be on his nice list. We've all been naughty. All of us have been naughty. Turn and look at the person next to you. That You've been naughty. <laughs> look on the other side. You've been naughty too. All right, now we've gotten that all straight. We've taken off our religious fronts. But Romans chapter 3 says that's what qualifies you for God's grace. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I didn't come for those that are well, those that have it all together. A physician is needed for those that aren't well. So these gifts are given, first of all, to bring healing or wholeness or mending. And I love, the, I love that process of the bone because 
Because an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or pastor, or teacher can't do anything on their own. All they can do is take the equipment, the tools that God gives them, and use them so that the body can get lined up in a position so that the Spirit of God and the life of God can bring that wholeness. Just as the life that's within your body takes those broken bones when they're in the right position. But see, they've got to get in the right position. When they're positioned correctly, then the healing can take place. There's some people in the body that are hurting and need healing, but they can't receive it because they've not allowed themselves to be put in the right position where that healing can be brought to them. I think I will. Notice where the healing in your body comes from. It comes from your own body. Doctors will tell you, and I hope this is right, doc, that they can't heal anything. That all they can do is they've learned how to take the mechanisms that are in your body for healing itself and helping them to do that. Is that right, Doc? Okay. That's what antibiotics do. All, antibiotics don't bring healing into your body. They trigger artificially a mechanism that's already in your body for fighting off things that don't belong there. But it took knowledge and wisdom of scientists to discover that and then know how to apply that in such a way to use your body to heal itself. It takes trained physicians to know how to use those mechanisms for your own particular body. And that's part of their function in life. And so these gifts are people that God has enables, anoints, and then they have to prepare so that they can take the mechanisms that God has built in the body and through their knowledge and their training and their anointing and the means that God provides to bring about that healing. But notice it cannot take place if you don't allow yourself to be positioned. So if your experience with God is to sit home and simply watch on TV, and I know there's some people they don't have that choice because they are bound to their home. God has grace and ways of doing that. But if you, be- if you belong in a church and you're sitting somewhere else, you now... You, have, you are hurting in some ways and you're not putting yourself in a place where one of these gifts can begin to position you so that the healing of God can take place. Because the body of Christ was designed the same way the bo- your human body was designed. So that's the first meaning of this word is to mend or put in a position so it can be made whole. The second meaning of this word is to outfit or equip for a purpose. To outfit or equip for a purpose. It was applied originally to ships that were going out for whatever purpose, fishing or, or transporting goods. And before that ship would leave the dock, they wanted to make sure that, first of all, it was safe. 
that there were no holes in it, there were no leaks in it. They wanted to make sure that there was nothing that could hurt that ship or destroy its ship or keep it from its purpose could get into it. Then they wanted to make sure that all the rigging, all that was necessary so that that ship could, could, could be controlled and propelled so that if it was a sailing vessel, which as they were in these days, that it had this, there were no holes in the sails, that there were the lines that they could use to control the sails, that the rudder worked correctly. They would check all of the equipment, the equipment, they would check all the equipment, all the equipment to make sure it functioned correctly. Because you don't want to get three weeks out in the ocean and find out that this mainsail you're going to need when you pull it up has got holes in it because the rats have been eating away at it. The word also meant that they provided the, the, the stores or the, or the food and the water that the crew was going to need, the supplies that they were going to need to accomplish their purpose. That's what this word means, equip. That's the second meaning of this word. It means to outfit or prepare or to get ready and provide the resources that are needed for what it is you're supposed to be doing. It always implies for a purpose. So it's to equip for a purpose. I want to give you a couple of scriptures and show you examples of where it's used. By the way, in, in, back on the word mending, the Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 talks about you who are spiritual, restore a brother who's fallen. The word restore there is the same word. And there it is again, the body restoring itself. The body bringing back and making part of it that's been injured or separated whole or including it. All right, we're looking at this word outfitting. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been studying this on Wednesday nights. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. Verse 3 is where we're going. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made out of things that are visible. The word framed there is the same word. And it means to set in order, equip, to complete what is lacking. To complete what is lacking. And so here God literally is taking out of nothing and creating by his words this realm we know as the material realm. It says it wasn't just the word in the New American, in the New King James is framed as if you, you know, framed a, a, a house. You've all seen houses being built and how they put the framing up. But this word means far more than that. It means to complete, provide everything that was necessary for this existence. And what scientists have done is we've discovered what that provision was that God made when he said, let there be light. When God spoke something into existence, everything that was needed for it to prosper and to grow was contained in those words when God spoke it. And it was complete. In the beginning... Adam was given the responsibility 
to oversee this creation. The word was to tend it or take care of it, cultivate it. But it was an easy job because it took care of itself. There were no weeds. He didn't have to weed the garden because God didn't create weeds. Where did they come from? I'll show you in a second. It watered itself because it said every day a mist came up and just settled down in it. He didn't have to water it. He didn't have to do it. He just kind of had to oversee it because all of this creation cooperated with him in his purpose. Because when God spoke it into an existence, it was complete. It had all the life, it had all the energy, it had all the direction, it had all... I mean, your body is an example of that. When your body was conceived in your mother's womb, there was started in that first cell, what we now understand to be DNA. And it contained all the instructions for every cell that was going to grow out of that one cell. To form your hair and your eyes and your toes and all the parts of you. And it's still at work because you do understand that the cells that make up your body are not the same cells you had in the beginning. They're replenished every so many years. And yet that instruction is still in you enough so that when those cells reproduce, they reproduce the same way. All of that... That life and that power is what was created when God said, let there be, and when he breathed into that first man, the breath of life. Well, then what happened? In Genesis 3, we see what happened. They sinned. They disobeyed God. And when God came on the scene and asked for an accounting of it, and the man started out by the first blame game. He says basically this, God, there's three of us here. You, my wife, and me. All I know is I didn't do it. That's really what he's saying because he said, it's the woman you gave me. I don't know if it's her or you. I just know I'm the only innocent one here. And of course, he wasn't. He was the responsible one. And then God says to him, I'm going to have to move you out of this garden. And he said, a curse has come upon the land now. And now you're going to have to do the same. He didn't change the job. He didn't take the responsibility away from him. He says, what's going to happen now? Because you've let this curse loose on the earth. It's now going to fight you. You're going to have to do this work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to, because all of nature is going to oppose you. Paul talks in several places about the groanings of this life. The earth is groaning. It is. We're having earthquakes. We're having volcanic eruptions. The earth is physically groaning under the weight of the curse of sin. Amen. And it's opposing us. It's taking things that God has created and perverting them. That's why there are viruses out there. They're living organisms, but been, they've been perverted by this curse. And so when, when we see in Hebrews 3, 11, 3, that the worlds were framed by the word of God, it doesn't mean that God put up a structure. It means God spoke forth everything that was necessary. And Hebrews also tells us it's still held together, I think it's verse chapter 1, by the word of his power. Every breath you breathe, every beat of your heart, is coming from the power when God said, let there be. 
That's how powerful his word is. So the worlds were formed. The worlds were completed, equipped. This, everything that was needed for life was provided by God's word out of the realm that was not seen. Well, let's look at another scripture to give you another in- idea of this meaning. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 10. May the God of all grace who called us, there we go again, who called us. It would be interesting to go through your Bible, go through your concordance, and look up the word called and see how many times it appears. Called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you've suffered a little while, he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The word establish there is the same Greek word. It means to establish you, put you on a firm foundation. So these gifts are given to the church to help mend us, make us whole, where we're not whole. But beyond that, to give us the equipment to complete us so that we're strengthened, we're strong, we're established. In Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul, talking about spiritual warfare, says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he goes on a couple of verses later and says, Taking unto you the armor, the full armor of God, his provision for standing against the wiles of the enemy. God is, although there's an enemy loose, God's, and God's taken us, the Bible says, out of his dominion, Colossians 1.13, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, yet his that's in your spirit, man. Yet your body's still in this realm. You've noticed that, haven't you? And in this realm, Satan's the God of this world. Not forever. But he's the God of this world. The Bible refers to him as that. And you're his enemy. Don't take it personally. He doesn't dislike you. It's because of who you belong to. Because you're part of the body of the one he hates. And he couldn't stop you from becoming part of that body, but if he can stop you from functioning, that's his next goal. He doesn't mind you being a useless, lifeless appendage that can't do anything. So understand his goal for your life is to bombard you with whatever he can to get you to become a useless, lifeless appendage in the body of Christ. Because if that's what he does with you, then the body of Christ is not as strong as he's ordained it to be. Because there's a part of it that's not functioning. So we see here that, that, that this word, that, that, that these gifts are given also to establish us and strengthen us so that we can do what we've been called to do. Because we're going to discover as we go on, there's opposition to what you've been called to do. There's opposition. 
It's not a free ride just because I, I answered the call. Now the devil doesn't just step aside. Oh, I lost them. They're called. I, they've discovered they're called. I'm really sorry. Please, you know, go ahead. Just go ahead and destroy my kingdom. No, no. But there's nothing to be afraid of because you're part of the body of Christ. And he has overcome him. He has overcome him. Well, let's look at another scripture or so. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's not it. Let's see if it's Second Thessalonians chapter one. Good scripture. That's not the one I had in mind. Well, praise the Lord anyway. The word was complete because the word also means to complete what is lacking. So the two ideas basically of this word is to mend what's broken, to put in position so that it can mend itself, and then to complete what's lacking, to strengthen, to establish to outfit, to give you what you need, all of it is with the idea of performing a task. Now let's go back to Hebrew, to Ephesians 4, verse 12. Why is this so important? Why would we take one whole message and just talk about one word, equipping? And this is the reason. Because God has provided these gifts, these functions in the body of Christ. And their purpose is to do this for you and me. If we don't understand the purpose and the process, it's more difficult to cooperate. Otherwise, we have a every one of us has an image in our head of why we come to church on any particular Sunday. You may not think it through very much. It may be because we always do. That's a motive. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's a good motive that we always do it because that's why it's important, parents, to have your children in church. Because what you do is you build in them a habit so that when they're older and they're in that day, well, I don't know whether to go or not, this has been built into them. You just assume you go unless there's some really clear-cut reason why you don't. It's just built into them. Our kids came, when we went to church, when I had church before, we had Sunday night service. So they, we had little kids, they came Sunday night, they slept on the seats, that's fine, but they were in church. They were in church. They were in church. Yeah. It was built in them, we go to church. You live in this house, we go to church. I pay the mortgage, <laughs> we go to church. We put the food on the table, 
We go to church. I don't like, it doesn't matter. We go to church. We go to church. We go to church. Because it's in church that the breaks and the divisions and the hurts are now in a place where the Spirit of God can take and bring that healing and can happen in a moment's time. So why is it important to learn how to cooperate? And we'll just introduce this. We'll get into this next time. Because if there's a process going on, it helps if I understand the process. For instance, you go to the doctor's office, and the doctor says, "Well, you've got you, you've got a um, you've got a, a bronchitis. You've got a you know a, a bacterial infection in your lungs, in your bronchial tubes. Um, and, and here's here's a prescription. Go get this filled and take this medicine. He's given you some instructions of what to do. He's got the knowledge of how to take your body and help your body heal itself. And now he gives you the instructions." But if you don't recognize what that doctor's role is, if you think, well, what does he know? Who does he think he is? Tell me what to do. I've known his body longer than he has. I don't know him all that well. Where did he go to school? What's his qualifications? Why should I listen to him? What happens is you now take the means that that man or woman had to help your body get whole and you've either rejected it or you've diminished its ability to work in you. Suppose you say, well, yeah, he's, a, he's my doctor, but I got this prescription, you know, okay, I'll, I'll get around to it later and just kind of toss it aside somewhere. You respect him to some degree. I guess not fully because if you really respected him in his judgment, you'd realize you'd better listen and do what he says. There's a, there's a point to all this. Because it all reflects an attitude towards that doctor and the advice that he's given you. So you take that prescription, just throw it aside, you know, and you go to work the next day. <coughs> How are you, brother? I'm healed. <coughs> I really think you ought to go to the doctor. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I know better. Or I did. <coughs> what did he say? Oh, he gave me a prescription. <coughs> Is it working? I don't know. <coughs> I can't find it. <coughs> it's somewhere with my Bible, and I don't know where they are. It's not enough that he knows what you need. It's not enough that in his office he tells you what you need and gives you what you need. There is a responsibility that we have to cooperate with the doctor's knowledge, ability, and instructions so that that process can be completed so that we can be made well and whole again. 
I'm sure the first question they ask if you go back and say, well, doctor, you know, I'm not any better. Did you take the prescription? Did you compl- Well, you know, I started to feel better after the thir- second day. So I just stopped it. And I'm sure the last instructions you give is, take all of the medicine. Yeah, but I feel better. But that feeling is based on your knowledge and your experience and your training. His instructions to go take it for all ten days is based on his knowledge and his wisdom. And so when I decide, okay, I'm feeling better after the second day, and I still take it, it's because I trust his instructions that he knows more than I do. And therefore, I'm not going to go by how I feel, but I'm going to go by what the doctor says. So it's important to understand in verse 12, it's got to be important the Holy Spirit put in there. And we read over these things so quickly. We say, for the equipping of the saints, so we all do the work of the ministry of service, da 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 But that word equipping, I wanted to stop there and just look at what that word means to us, what this process is, so that we can learn to cooperate it with it. So that when one of these gifts is ministering to us, and understand, we're not lifting them up, it's a function. So that when we have one of these gifts here speaking to us, that we recognize there's a process going on. That's someone God has called and ordained and anointed as part of this process of equipping me, of mending me, getting me whole. Part of the process of giving me what I need to do what I'm called to do, of strengthening me, of outfitting me, of, 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 of completing the work that God's done in me so that I can go on and do the next thing we're going to talk about, which is what my responsibility is. For the equipping, the mending, the healing, the making whole of us, the saints. For the establishing, outfitting, providing the resources and equipment that we're going to need. For the strengthening and completing of the saints for positioning us so that the Spirit of God can do in us what we want to do. What we're going to go into next week is we're going to begin to look at this process of equipping. How does that take place? What are the tools that, that, that the doctor, the ultimate physician, gives to these gifts so that we can, so that they can, that, so that they can mend us, so that they can so that they can complete us, so that they can strengthen us, so that we'll recognize them when they're given to us. So we'll recognize the prescription, and we'll recognize the pills, and we'll know what to take, because we know that if we do what the doctor says, it will work. And we know if we do what God says and cooperate with him, then he will equip us and strengthen us and establish us so that we can do what we're called to do.